0: Welcome to episode number 324 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast from the Tux Digital Network. If you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of Sudo, this is the show for you. My name is Ryan. I'm Michael.
1: And I'm Jill.
0: And on this week's episode, we discuss the final push for Wayland adoption. Is it finally here? Is it going to happen? Then we discuss Pipewire in the future of Linux audio. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. So in this week's community feedback, we're skipping the community feedback because we are going to talk about Michael's trip to my house to Texas. And Michael, you took a long flight.
2: I did over. From, it wasn't that long. It was yeah, like, I mean, mm-hmm. I got a bunch long. of delays though. Like I, you like,
0: traversed the whole universe to come and see me in Texas or half of the United States, which is maybe
2: like a third or quarter of it. Maybe I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we spent the week uh, doing all kinds, seeing all of the many offerings of Texas in there, and by that I mean I pretty much took you to the gym. And
2: then we went back home and worked more. All the offerings of Texas that he knows of. yeah, Which is the gym. And- <laughs> yeah, like a few things and mostly the gym. And now, which, by I the do- way, my arms still hurt, by the way, for everybody wants to know.
0: Oh. So I, I do have to compliment Michael here. I have a, a very intense 90-minute routine every single day. And it's, and it's 90 minutes on a specific muscle group. And I will say that Michael was able to keep up the entire time in those workouts – and did an amazing job, which was very impressive. Although thank you, thank the you, moment he you. would walk in the door, he would complain, go run to my wife, and complain about the torture that he just went through. So it was like there's a problem here. <laughs> it was it was good, but it was also uh, funny to see that. But I also took. Well, you she would one say, of your "How's the gym?"
2: And I'd be like, "Well, Ryan tortured me. Like, that's how it
0: was."
1: Oh, yeah. but, but Ryan, actually, you took Michael to somewhere quite special that I that I knew about beforehand.
0: Yes. So Michael said he'd never been to the Rainforest Cafe and wanted to go. Now I'm yes. sure these animatronics that they have in the Rainforest Cafe run on Linux. They pretty much of course do. The robotics. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very Linuxy trip because of that. And so I took Michael to Rainforest Cafe, which of course, if you know anything about Rainforest Cafe, is actually mostly for kids. Right. And Michael loved it. He loved <laughs> every. Aww. Second of it, like, a and little also hot.
2: Ryan was scared by all the animatronics and the storm that happened. That's the, not the, true. That the volcano. Going I have off. a video <laughs> of that. You're being scared, Ryan.
0: You jerk! How dare you? Take, <laughs> how dare you hack my personal video and and, and utilize that in the show? Uh, so, and I, <laughs> the,
2: the anything interesting thing about the Rainforest Cafe is that I didn't even know it existed until about a few months ago. And I saw this video about going to all the different ones, and then I thought, "Oh, well, I'm, I'm curious what this is." And it's basically looked like a Chuck E. Cheese, but with like a forest animal theme, and it's it's interesting. It's it's fun, and I wanted to do it at least once, you know, ever.
0: Yeah, a
1: fun restaurant. Did you guys in, enjoy uh, hearing the volcano go off and the which led to the extinction of the dinosaurs? So, some of the rainforest cafes I've been to have that.
0: We didn't have that. We yeah, just we had like that. this storm okay. that hit every twenty minutes, and we were right next to the gorilla, and the gorilla uh, goes crazy. Like he it, goes yeah. ape.
1: It goes <laughs> ape. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because every uh, Rainforest Cafe, I've been to uh, five different ones, and everyone is a little bit different. There there are some yeah. differences. Like one I went to was the elephants were stampeding.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the food is complete garbage and overpriced. Yeah. Like, it's
2: like it's microwave shrimp. Garbage. It's and, definitely overpriced, it's and, just, but it's, yeah. it's yeah, mediocre. Yeah, it's just
1: average. Yeah.
0: But the the ambiance Look at that yeah, fancy beautiful. word, expensive word I just used Whoa. there. The ambiance was so great, wow, you dude. know? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> um, but we did a lot of businessy stuff. And of course, as is tradition, for those who have been listening to the show for a long time, I always force Michael to watch a terrible movie, in which this time it was The Lazarus Effect, which
2: which is bad.
0: We were <laughs> watching, and it was getting really late. So I was like, well, I'll finish it, you know, tomorrow or something like that and then i came back in the room and michael had turned it off it was so bad the moment i left the room he just shut it off
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, i have no I, i don't have to deal with it anymore so it was and he came in and said hey what happened i was like oh it was terrible i turned it off that's what happened in the movie not to say that people who like that movie it's bad it's just it's okay it's bad
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: I thought it, ha- it was really good. Yeah, that's well, it's a very really predictable movie. It. It's it's somebody yeah. who creates a serum that allows you to bring back people from the dead and shocking, don't give away the
0: plot, and it's shocking
2: not- that becomes a horror movie and you can imagine why. And so good. uh, duh, so good, amazing. <laughs> but some of the cool businessy stuff because you know, you,
0: you weren't there for fun, although we had so much fun with the Tex Mex. And of course, we had to try Texas barbecue, so I took him to an Asian restaurant the very first day and yep, we had, that's what happened. And we had no Texas for, barbecue the yep, entire
2: time. Exactly we didn't have any Texas barbecue, which is of course yeah. gonna be uh, commented by some people who are consider that a travesty yes. visiting Texas and not having barbecue but <laughs> it happens Next when, time. when Ryan is the one controlling the navigation, it happens. <laughs>
0: I go where I know that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd he be lost. lost. <laughs> so we did make a businessy order while we were there—a business order for two Pixel Six Pro phones yes. for a very specific project that we decided to do. Uh, we've gotten some interesting feedback recently on some of the discussions about Apple and Android and all of that. A lot of people talking about, man, you gotta check out Graphene OS and see this Android alternative in action. So, we are doing just that. We ordered two Google 6 Pros. They, I've received mine already. I think Michael's is still on the way, or yeah. if it's Michael, it's gonna be left in the
2: box for three weeks anyways. I mean, you're not wrong. But.
0: but I started this process of configuring and getting the phone ready, which I'll do some videos on my channel about getting the phone ready for Graphene OS install. And one of the things, of course, you gotta go into developer mode, and then you they want you to have an OEM unlocked device that'll work with any carrier. And there's this particular setting in developer settings called OEM unlock. And so I thought I would get prepared all the way up to getting ready to install, which when, when I would start filming, and then realizing the instructions, it's like, no, you've got to have this OEM unlock enabled first before you can do this Graphene OS install. And to do that, you have to have a SIM card in the device. And I had some old Ting SIM cards that I'd ordered like years and years and years ago. And so I got one of those out, put it in the phone, and they expired in 2020. So now I had to order another Ting. So news to you, Mike, we might want to go ahead and place your order for a SIM card ahead of time because you need it to kind of prep your phone mm, uh, for that. that mm-hmm. it expired, that's interesting. But the other thing I saw in the instructions that was really interesting is that it specifically says do not use, because you can they have a web browser installer. So if you're not comfortable with the Klee, which I think is really cool, you can go through the web browser to do the install of Graphene OS. Uh, but do not use Snap or Flatpak versions. It's, they both have apparently known bugs and issues when you're doing the Graphene OS install. And so this created an interesting problem because I have Ubuntu installed and I have Fedora installed on my main machine, but both of those I'm using Flatpak and Snap versions. And Ubuntu, it kind of raised the question, it's been so long since I've played with it for a long time, is there actually an alternative there in the repos for a non-Snap version of Firefox? I don't think there is in the repos. It's not in snap. the repos.
2: I think it's available in other distros you can pull in with a PPA, but I don't think it's by default there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was telling Ryan that I'm I i I'm just in the habit of downloading the tar.gz on the Mozilla website.
2: That is an option. Box. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Downloading so, the
2: tarball does solve that too. Yeah. Kind of an
0: interesting problem with the snap and flat pack. I, I could see snap potentially. I'm not sure why the flat pack is having an issue, but. Just keep that in mind if you want to follow along with this challenge with us, and we'll be doing updates on the show and talking about it, of course, and doing videos on our own channels of it. But for those of you who've been wanting us for a long time to try out Graphene OS, we're about to do it. We're going to do it. Texas made us do it. We didn't get barbecue, (laughs) but we got Pixel phones. And the reason we chose Pixel, by the way, is that's the recommended phone from Graphene OS. They suggest, recommend Pixels are the easiest to basically convert over to Graphene OS. So there you go.
2: And speaking of recommendations, something I recommend is Linode. Visit linode.com tux, that's linode.com T-U-X, and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to the ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers and businesses have been using and trusting Linode for projects, both big and small, since 2003. Linode offers the industry's best price performance value with all compute instances, whether that's shared, dedicated, high memory, and GPUs. Uh, Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers and not your infrastructure. So visit linode.com tux, as linode.com T-U-X, and create your account. And as a member of the Destination Linux community, you'll get a $100 60-day free credit when you become a member of the Destination Linode community. So maybe you just wanna try out something new, maybe you wanna mess around with some projects that you've heard of and you've never tried before. Well, Linode's simple, affordable, and accessible cloud solutions makes it super easy, makes this a breeze. In fact, you can use it to build nodes where everything you do yourself, or you can use their one-click apps from their app marketplace to do everything from Plesk and WordPress to Valheim and Minecraft servers. So go go again right now, get started at Linode's awesome cloud platform by going to linode.com slash T-U-X.
0: Now, one of the other things, Michael, while you were here, I suggested, and you shot down, and now I'm going to use the community to pressure you, is we were at the mall, and when we went to the mall, because the Rainforest Cafe was in the mall, there was a store that had CDs. CDs, for those who don't know, are compact discs that utilize lasers to inscribe music and data onto Mm -hmm. them. They're they're storage devices, and... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> I told Michael, I said, you know what we should do? Let's spin up a music server because me and him have such wide palettes when it comes to music, and then we'll put our music on a Linode instance, and we would just have it to share between like friends, like Joe, We'd invite you because obviously you go, and we'd put our music there and just burn it on. And to then test Michael's some like audio
2: music server or something, yeah. Yeah, nice.
0: and then Michael said, no, I could just easily do this in Spotify with a playlist or something. Why would we do that? Because we would have another excuse to have another server, Michael. That's yes. why.
2: Thank you, Jill. Jill yes. gets it. Okay, let, let me let me clarify my position on this topic since Ryan is bringing it up to everyone on yes. the show for some Poor reason. More pressure. If you do everything about this server, Ryan, then I'm on board. <laughs> yes. Oh, I knew it. Community pressure. Was- as long as I don't have to do anything, I'm good with
0: it. <laughs> well, I'm going to pass it on to Jill to administer because I don't want to do anything <laughs> with it either. But-
1: well, the, the other advantage to having a Linode server with all your music on is that you can create actually a, a, an audio stream out of all the tracks.
2: That's just, right. Just
1: for us to use our own personal radio station.
2: Yeah, Ryan,
0: you should go ahead and make that. So of course we could get <laughs> sued, so we can't share it with everyone because the music industry is well what it is. Yeah. But I think it would be fun to have all of our, you know, music tastes and things represented on a server. And I've gotten into this idea. Don't laugh at me, Michael. Stop laughing, Michael. I, I want. Why would
2: I laugh at something you haven't
0: said yet? I know you're going to laugh. That's okay. why. Right. Okay. Contain it. All right. I want to start collecting the CDs again, and then, <laughs> dang it, Michael. So I start. Uh, I want to. I want to collect CDs again. Like I miss it.
1: I have too many. You can have some of mine. I have uh, over a thousand in my collection, and my husband see? has a, another. Of course three, you do, Jill. Yeah. <laughs> Did,
2: how, <laughs> well, I like, was like a radio
1: DJ for sixteen years.
2: That makes sense. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I have lo- over a thousand records and several thousand cassettes, literally in this.
0: Ryan,
2: house. you are slacking. You are <laughs> yeah. so slacking.
0: I've got like four or five cds left over from back when i collected them so i, mean, I, I actually brag, found a chill.
2: box in my last move that had a bunch of my cds i don't think they work but i have a bunch of them in there yeah because i learned you know like people who transition from the jewel cases for those who don't know this is back in the day when you actually had yeah. to have a packaging for an individual cd that had only like 12 songs uh Mm-hmm. Good yeah, old days. And you
0: had to listen to the whole album, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, or you, you should Otherwise you would, you you'd spend... be wasting money. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, and you're also paying more than a dollar per song for sure. But what I found was there's these packs that back in the day was like a really good solution where you'd have this case of 40 or 50 CDs you could put in. And then after a long period of time, I found it, one of those in one of the boxes and the, like the sleeves that the CDs go into are falling apart. Yeah. Like that's it is a thing. just, it is the worst. It was the worst solution uh, after a while. So it worked, but it, it's not great. So when I pull out a CD, yeah. the whole thing disintegrates.
1: <laughs> the, the trick there is what I used to have to buy were special ones that were acid free and they would last a lot longer. And, and those have been just fine.
2: I didn't but, even know that was a thing <laughs> to worry about.
0: See, (laughs) if you get back into CD collecting with me, Michael, then you won't have to. You'll get to learn all these new things that are.
2: I would happily get back into collecting the CDs I already have and adding no more to the collection. Yeah. But you have to physically own the media for us to put it on the server
0: legally, because we're all about legal. Yeah, I mean, I will just buy
2: it online, and you can download the MP3 and just put it on there.
0: There you go. Okay. That way, I can
2: can skip the process of burning the CDs. It's still, you know. So but we
0: want the wave uncompressed files. But anyways, I've taken us mm-hmm. completely off track. <laughs> yep. This is very important for me to use the community to pressure Michael into doing what I want. But what we're here to talk about actually is some stuff going on with Wayland. So yeah. when, when I saw some news going on about some different distros talking about the fact they're going to be enforcing Wayland, I started to think about this cycle that I've noticed in the, what, six years I've been in Linux that kind of happens. This new thing gets announced at some point, sometimes it's like 15 years ago, it gets announced or (laughs) recently gets announced. And then the new thing isn't really better than the old thing yet. Uh, And then some companies decide kind of, hey, we need to make a change. We're gonna go ahead and adopt this new thing that's not better than the old thing right away. And then people get mad. And then companies reply with, well, if we don't adopt it, then it's never gonna get to the point where it's actually better than the old thing. And the new thing either becomes then the old thing at some point, or the fight gets so ugly that the new thing dies this inglorious death. Hopefully, if you draw that out, you'll kind of see the whole circle of life of a Linux project. But
2: the circle of life.
0: The key is that <laughs> Linux doesn't like change. People in Linux don't like change. The community doesn't like change. Like I you can argue with me all you want, but you'd be wrong. And in six years of being in Linux, that has become extraordinarily clear. Like There's a lot of, hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Or even if it's broke, it's not broke enough to spend time to fix it. And I think some of that comes from the fact that we have limited resources ultimately in Linux and open source Mm -hmm. that are capable of doing certain things. That's my thought on it.
2: I mean, there's examples that that fit perfectly within this lifecycle that you've described because... System D is one of those examples where, when it first came out, people were losing their minds on it because Still. it was supposedly changing things. Well, that yeah, also that too. But they were they were supposedly changing things to make everything worse or whatever. And people who use it now recognize that it is better, and it was better for a long time. But people just didn't give it a chance. And then there is also the same the case of uh, pulse audio. Pulse audio is now the standard, and people kind of look at it and go, "Hey, that's that's great. We we have something that works well." But when it first came out, it was not like received very well. It was a lot of uh, hate and vitriol towards it and stuff like that, which it ultimately was a better solution than the previous thing. And the similar thing happened with PipeWire with Pulse. So like everybody's well, we already got Pulse, why we need PipeWire? Like there are things that you can do to improve the experience. And just because there's something new doesn't mean it's going to be a bad thing. But I think you are right. A lot of people don't like change.
0: Yeah. And, you know, reminds me of the recent pseudo show episode, which is brilliant. You should all go check out this episode. They have this amazing discussion about IDEs and things that I didn't even think about going on with IDEs and some of the issues in the Linux ecosystem with IDEs, which was something, by the way, that I thought kind of Linux was like, hey, we're good with IDEs. We've got so many choices, proprietary, unproprietary and all this stuff to come to realize after listening to that discussion there's are some gaps there, and, and that's kind of what happens is I think some of the individuals who get used to using things like Pulse Audio, for instance, go, well, it works for everything I have, but then they're oh, yeah, kind of yeah. not realizing that there's this other half of the community like pro audio engineers and things like that, or even semi-pro uh, people who utilize equipment that works horrifically with Pulse Audio. So I see... Right now, we're going to talk about Pulse Audio later in the show, but focusing on Wayland and Xorg, that's kind of happening right now with these two. Um, I think it's important to kind of set the stage because we have a lot of new listeners and stuff of why and what Wayland and Xorg are. So Wayland and Xorg are both display server protocols that allow applications to basically display windows. It's a very important part of the operating system. Imagine not being able to display anything. Uh, That would be the alternative kind of without it. Uh, xorg is free and open source implementation of the x window system however it's very old it's basically a frankenstein disaster of code to maintain at this point and that's not exact words but pretty close to what the folks who are working on xorg will describe it as a well and it's also has some security issues because it was a very old system designed for a very different time frame and now today we basically to keep it running and keep it current are tacking on all kinds of extensions like x render x render composite all of these things that we're tacking on just to keep it kind of modern but then there's all of these pieces of old code that either the folks who originally built it aren't around anymore to support it and or it would take so much time to reverse engineer it that it would be a disaster so they just kind of wait for things to break and patch as i understand it that's kind of how it works right now. So, to me, it's no question of do we need a new option in the Linux ecosystem. Right. It's like we have to have one.
1: Yeah, you know, and- developers actually have spent years, you know, working around Xorg's bugs and issues and basically creating band-aids on top of band-aids on top of band-aids to get stuff done. So, it, it it's time for something new.
0: Right. And so then I started thinking about my journey in Linux and thinking about some of the issues, which when we talk about POS audio, I could tell you stories there too, but when I do videos and things, a lot of, when I talk about new GPUs, I talk about uh, different settings or monitors and things, I always get the comments, how do you get rid of screen tearing? To the point where I did a whole dedicated video on how to get rid of screen tearing with Nvidia, for instance. Um, People talking about multi-monitor support issues. We see this a lot in the new code for different desktop environments and things about adding in better support for multi-monitor and then the multi-monitor refresh rate issues. So if you have two monitors, one's 144 hertz and one 60 hertz, this has created lots of problems over the years for desktops and things to support. And you can't help but know that a lot of that stuff, pieces of it at the very least, are tied back to this very old display server technology that we're forced to utilize. And this creates a really bad experience. I remember specifically trying to show off how before all of this awesome work with Code Weavers and Wine and Steam came about, how Linux could run these AAA titles on the latest and greatest hardware. And when I was recording, uh, I was so stuck in the moment of talking about what I was doing that when I was done recording, the video was just like, mm-hmm. there were like screen tears just flowing through the the video that oh, wow, I had yeah. recorded the whole time. And so I didn't realize it at the time until after I posted the video and then people were making comments like, oh yeah, Linux does fantastic with gaming. But the, these type of display server issues were kind of always existent. And then you would have to go and do things like turn off compositors and other stuff to try yeah. to get things to look right. like. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And also in that case, it was just more like the combination of gaming and recording created the, the bottleneck issues. So. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So in comes Wayland. Wayland is not a fork and it's not an X server, but it does reuse some of the existing drivers and infrastructure where it makes sense. And so I kind of call it the Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> That's a good one.
0: <laughs> sure. Why not? I thought so. Uh, it's goal is to be easier to develop and maintain protocol or language than X11. So everyone should be totally on board and happy with this, right?
2: Of course. There is no chance that this would ever create any sort of drama or <laughs> conflict or anything like that. You know.
0: Good. All right. Then it's settled. I guess there's nothing more to say. Well, we're done with the show. Thanks for watching, everybody.
2: People, <laughs> love. people should love this. Right, Jill?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the Wayland Display Server project actually was created by Red Hat developer Christian hogsburg back in 2008 so it's been a while since we've had adoption you know widespread adoption of Wayland. it's not quite here yet
0: (laughs) so this is a fair point and a lot of people make this point who are kind of anti wayland trained that they're concerned that this project has been going on for so long and honestly you know it's been just the last few years that we've really seen big progress on a lot of the known bugs that have been happening with Wayland. Like a lot of the features, even just screen captures and things like that uh, weren't even options. So I think it's a fair critique. And then GNOME adopted Wayland by default. And I think I have to believe that this forced adoption to try to move Linux forward helps the case for things like Wayland. It helps push it forward so that more developers put their attention into it, likely more bug reports get opened more use cases get covered because if they never do that, if nobody adopts Wayland, it's never going to get to the point where we need it to
2: be. I feel That's that. true. It's an interesting situation because it's a chicken or the egg problem. Like yeah. do you adopt it before when it's ready or do you adopt it and try to help make it ready? And the gnome team decided to do that. And KDE has now decided to do that as well, to adopt it and try to make, help make it ready. And Gnome did it very early on. So there was a lot of issues with uh, Wayland in terms of people's perception because of their experience with Gnome doing it kind of too early. Because you could argue that you know they needed to do it in order to push it forward. But also when they did it, there was a probably about a year or so where the experience was not very good. And people would complain about it and just kind of abandon Gnome. And then they decided to, you know, con- continue forward and keep pressing on the making Wayland better. And now Wayland's at a state where, on GNOME specifically, that it's a very good experience in many instances. There's sometimes you'll run into a thing where you need to switch back, but most of the time, probably about 85, 90% of the applications and the stuff you want to do will work just fine on Wayland. And in fact, in a lot of those cases, will work better in Wayland.
0: Well... Do you think that some of the critiques, though, that have happened? Because I would put myself in there as somebody who was not been happy with Wayland up until recently. Now, honestly, I install a distro, and half the time I find out I've been in Wayland the whole time, and I'm like, oh, I've been in Wayland. Well, the only time Uh, you find
2: out you're in Wayland is because an application you want to run doesn't work. So you notice it then. And that's the same kind of thing for me. So I've been using Wayland here and there for testing purposes. But it's always something I can't use as like a main thing because there are certain applications that I use every day that don't work on Wayland. And that is partly the fault of the application as well as just being a new display server protocol. But the the chicken or the egg is like, who do you go to fix this? Do you go to Wayland to fix it? Or do you go to the application developer? And if it's the application developer, what if they don't have time to work on Wayland support and things like that? So it's we're in a situation where this transition period is going to take a while i mean it's still going to take quite a while now and it's already been about 15 years but it's probably going to be a little more to do that as well but there has been a lot of projects that are putting in effort like gnome has been for years and kde has been for uh, quite a few releases and with the announcement of the plasma 6 goal of having it exclusively wayland or at least wayland by default eventually exclusively, the effort putting into Wayland support is going to improve quite a bit, and hopefully that will also improve the overall experience.
0: But let's talk about the fact that Wayland doesn't really have, it has a reference protocol for a compositor.
2: I've been a little bit positive in terms of Wayland, but for a long time I've had this really annoying thing that has always bothered me about Wayland and it's maybe just a personal thing. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but it annoys me. And that's the lack of compositor that was made by the Wayland team. So the Wayland made a protocol for the display server, but they didn't make a compositor for usage across other DEs and things like that. They did make a reference compositor, which basically means don't use this. You can take the ideas that we did in this and then make it yourself and that kind of annoys me because of the fact that the work that is done in Gnome, which has been very well, very well done. They've put a lot of effort into it and it is mostly locked into Mutter. because there's some things that you can put into Wayland and they have, and there's some things that other teams can make uh, use as a way to pull into their own. But for the most part, there's a lot of stuff that is just going to be for Gnome or things based on Mutter, And that is kind of irritating because it means that we're fragmenting a very core component. And you could argue that this is a way to make it so that it can be optimized for the desktop environments, and that is good, but the progress is kind of slow because every team that is working on the implementation of a compositor in their desktop environment are doing independently. At least not, well, not every team. There are other projects that are meant to be like a universal thing, like WL Roots and Mir, They're both meant to be universal compositors for any DE, and some projects are using those as their basis for the compositing. But it's just something that I felt like it's been a missed opportunity to have faster growth, to have a compositor that other DEs can use rather than having to build from scratch or at least build into their own system.
0: So right now, as far as Wayland compositors go, there's Sway, which is the tiling Wayland compositor. There's KWIN, there's Gnome Shell, Mutter, and then Weston is the reference. I'm sure there's mm. some, there's Mirror you mentioned Mirror and others uh, others out there. So there's quite a few options, right? But you're saying these are very specific to those desktop well, environments. Well, Sway the and so,
2: Roots are kind of like universal, and Mirror is also a universal thing, so that other DEs can take it and put it into it. Like, for example, Mate has talked about doing that, and uh, LX, cute can take in KWIN and stuff like that. So there is a somewhat of a sharing, but the biggest issue I've had is that it wasn't like a starting point. The Weston was always meant to be a reference compositor and that's fine. I just wish they would make a compositor that would be viable because a reference compositor means it's just not really usable. It's more of like, here's what you could do to implement it in your, in your DE and if they had a universal one that was meant for everybody to use, and then the DEs decided to make their own uh, implementations on top of that, then that would be great. But at the moment, it seems like that's a, re- a necessity instead of an option.
0: I think it's a fair point, but I kind of appreciate the fact that they have fragmented this. At least I can, let me say it that I can see the vision here because the problem with X is that it got so overloaded with code from everyone's needs and patches and extensions that it became a Frankenstein of code that was impossible after decades to really properly be able to rework. And if you're keeping this kind of broken out into chunks, this makes it a lot easier, it would seem like, to keep Wayland up to date while putting some of the other development work kind of on the DEs. I'm sure the DEs aren't thrilled about that, and that's why it's taken so long to adopt, but at the end of the day they'll probably be able to do some much more creative things with it but do you think this will kill some desktop environments because yes. of this change and I think it will but are I we think- sad about that or is that a good thing cuz we need less options perhaps that's oh, an interesting no. point <laughs> That's an Jill,
2: interesting point. That window maker might be going away at that point.
1: Yeah, but X Wayland hopefully will support those. There, there are some protocols being developed that will support the old X window managers. I mean,
2: at some <laughs> point, good. At some point, the <laughs> idea of like X Wayland being deprecated is is going to happen too, right? Yeah, there's, true. There's going to be some true. some point in time <laughs> where this stuff is not going to be managed anymore, just because of like. They're gonna have the same situation of all this old, old, cold code that they don't want to. Yeah,
1: get. they want to get rid of. Well, it. Well, let's eventually.
2: explain what X Wayland is to people who are still trying to sure
0: decompile this uh, conversation that we're having here, because this is kind of a very specific, intricate part of Linux, right? That that yeah. is very important, but not that everybody thinks about. So, X Wayland is basically just an X server compatibility layer on top of Wayland that allows you to run yes. X applications and things like that in mm-hmm. Wayland. And, and communicate with that protocol so nice it's kind of a yeah it's kind of a hybrid option there so that you can get some of the stuff working where it needs to be and it's been very effective i think it's x wayland has helped exponentially i think with the adoption <laughs> see what you way. did there x <laughs> wayland Ex- helped exponentially <laughs> I, I didn't mean to do that but i'm going to take X11. it i'm going to take it yes i'm going to take that as a win so, Jill, what do you think of the Wayland adoption? There's still issues with Wayland.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like some apps having issues. Yeah. yeah. Like I know, like for me, I use the app called uh, Barrier. It's, it's a virtual KVM to share your keyboard and mouse uh, among several computers over the network. And that has issues with Wayland. And I know a lot of admins use it. So there are certain pieces of software that have have to be converted over to Wayland for for, you know, other people to adopt it. So that's understandable, but it's it's getting much better. And, you know, I think one of the reasons for the slowdown to Wayland adoption is that there are just so many other very important projects that th- that developers are focusing on right now, especially like in the Linux graphics space, such as with Wine, Vulkan, and DXVK. The- those are the big, uh, <laughs> the-, the hot things right now to focus on. And I think some of the development has been taken away from Wayland to work on those projects. And, you know, a lot of progress in Wayland has been done, and there's been an awesome push for gaming on Linux with Wayland such as mm-hmm. for gaming with GameScope on the Steam Deck and our desktops, Wine on Wayland and wow, yeah, even now we have Nvidia driver support since 2021 for Wayland. It still has issues, but we do have support now. <laughs>
2: I think that's one of the reasons why Wayland is taking yeah. so long is because Nvidia exactly. has been taking as long as they possibly could to be like the there there's a notorious um, video out there where uh, Linus has some choice words for NVIDIA. And the reason is because NVIDIA has spent a lot of time fighting the Linux community. And they did so with Wayland as well, because Mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. that they were anti-Wayland, but they were disagreeing on how Wayland support would be implemented on their hardware. So they spent years trying to push this one thing that would allow them to have proprietary control and all this other stuff that the Wayland team and the gnome team and the kde team refused to implement creating a bottleneck and then eventually nvidia decided to uh, finally give in but that was over two or t- over 10 years of fighting nvidia mm-hmm. to get them to finally do it yeah. so i think part of the reason that wayland has taken so long is because nvidia for all all of that time up until 2021 you could not use wayland on nvidia at all people would just say don't even bother it's not going to work and now we're in a, you know, beginning stage of support for Wayland on NVIDIA. And that is a good thing to happen, mm-hmm. but it did take a while. And that might be one of the reasons why people were wondering, why is it taking so long? Is because there was a huge bottleneck of a company trying to fight it. And gee
0: golly, NVIDIA. Thanks a lot. Gee golly, yeah.
2: golly, gee, <laughs> NVIDIA. And it's also not necessarily just NVIDIA, but they were a giant roadblock for sure. So you've got a kind of a company causing a little bit of a roadblock,
0: a major graphics company. Uh, a little bit it, of a roadblock. It wasn't like yeah. they
2: put a speed bump. It was more like they <laughs> built a giant wall in the middle of the freeway and then eventually decided like, okay, we'll take this brick off here and maybe this brick too. Okay, maybe this one. Like, okay, fine, we'll take it down. But that's yeah. that, that was a 10-year process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I want to mention, you know, the display server, me and Michael and Ryan were have been talking about this. The display server is such a huge thing to replace. It's one of the reasons why Microsoft oh, yeah. Windows, <laughs> Microsoft has not done a replacement with Windows <laughs> and on its back end <laughs> because it's such a huge project.
0: Well, why would you need to? It's so gorgeous now that they've moved the start button to the middle. I, mean, I
1: know.
2: Exactly. You get it, Ryan. You get it.
1: it, It's so huge. I mean, Xorg, you know, was used in Unix. I mean, it's it's been around for a long time.
0: It's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not aging like a fine wine. It's aging like a vinegar or something.
2: Well, it's also, let's talk about the idea of Wayland versus uh, Xorg. Because there's two things that I wanted to mention. First of all, this debate is not really worth having because... It's not a choice between are we going to go Wayland or are we going to keep XORG. The choice has already been made for us by the developers. Wayland is coming. Like it is going to take over. There is no question. So whether you jump on board or stay behind because your applications don't support it, it doesn't make a difference between whether or not Wayland is going to become the main standard adopted display server protocol. That is happening. The other thing is, is that a lot of people think that there is even a battle between the two. But it, there's not really because the Xorg Foundation are working on Wayland, so they recognize that this needs to be replaced too. Wait
0: a minute, they're in mm-hmm. bed with the enemies, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: no, they're working together. Uh, they're in <laughs> cahoots. Yeah.
0: This yeah, is so, madness. So they're working on that project, which I think is a really important point you made there, Michael. So what we feel about it, is, it's basically it's time to embrace it, and I think everybody should do their part in testing it, even if it's because you have an application or some other equipment or things that don't allow you to utilize it, keep trying it, and then open those bug reports and kind of be a part of the solution here. Because Wayland is coming, so we need to support it. Now, there is one application we're going to talk about here that everyone immediately, it didn't go through the typical open source Linux kind of life cycle. Everyone immediately adopted it because it's the best solution out there. And that's Bitwarden. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. That's slash T-U-X. A password manager software allows you a peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you, and even automatically fill them in so you don't have to. You can access your data across many types of devices like your web browser, mobile apps, desktop applications, even the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only one with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com tux to get started. You can get started for free but you probably just want to go ahead and sign up for that premium account because it's literally just $10 per year. And you're going to get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator with TOTP. That is that time passwords, the one-time passwords that you do that you can set up in Bitwarden. Michael, there was someone else we were talking to recently who said... We were giving the example, and they go, I didn't know Bitwarden
2: could do that either. Yeah, we were talking about how we, t- we talked about on this show that there, as a tip of the week, that people didn't know that this was a thing, and we'd given an example, and their reaction was, oh, what, really? It can do that?
0: <laughs> it was kind yeah. of hilarious. So utilize the totp it's awesome in there and basically when it comes up and says use an authenticator or whatnot it gives you the little code you can pop that into bitwarden there's a little box for it if you have the premium account and now you have that one-time password that you can utilize across your sites as well you get all this for just a dollar per month go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started thanks to bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of destination linux
2: Earlier in the show, we talked about Pulse Audio and Pipewire. So let's go back in time with Linux for a moment and discuss some of the things of why Pipewire became a thing and the issues that we'd have back in the day with audio. Because having to launch also, for example, from the terminal to try and unmute and turn on or off a sound device, that was a thing we used to have to do. Also, uh, constantly having to run a pulse audio kill command because applications were unable to grab the audio stream or the stream crossed in some weird way of like the different streams creating artifacts and echoes between the applications and you have to reset everything and then or having to go through the painful process of installing jack to replace pulse audio. And for those who have never used this before, jack is a very, very powerful, awesome audio con- connection kit that is incredibly painful to set up. Unless you're using the app, the distro specifically made for doing Jack because then they just do it for you, which is fantastic those exist, but for anyone who wanted to do it themselves, wasn't easy. And now we have pulse audio has been a very nice thing for us as Linux users for many years. But working with Pulse Audio to set up new loops and make changes and configurations and stuff like that, and you get this great idea that you have and you, you tweak it, you spend a whole day making everything work and you finally get it working, you're super happy that you turn your computer off, the next day you turn it back on and it's all gone. Because it doesn't save anything by default in Pulse Audio. So it was a little bit uh, annoying back in the day. So the reason why we're talking about all of these things is that PipeWire now exists and eliminates a ton of things that were headaches? Has added a ton of new features, and they have a new release this week that we're going to be talking about with PipeWire 0.3.71, which contains some pretty exciting enhancements. The biggest whoa, whoa, of which, whoa. no, you're not allowed to get. into I, the get, exciting to, I part get to first. tell. I get to <laughs> tell everybody what this is because I didn't know about it until Ryan told me what it was. <laughs> No, the reason why I wanted to stop you is because I want to
0: talk for a minute about this pulse audio discussion because we have talked about pipewire before, and people have said in comments I use pulse audio and it's fantastic. I don't see any need for
2: pipewire. yeah. Why break what's? Why fix what's not broken? Type of thing.
0: So I, I agree. This is another situation that we run into in the Linux lifecycle. It's a perfect example of what we talked about before. Whereas. If it works for you, then it must work for everybody else. Unfortunately, it's not the world of PCs, uh, which is why we've invented things like Docker and other stuff to try to make that more of a reality. But all these PCs being different and all people's use cases and needs being different. For instance, I have a script on my GitHub page. And the whole idea behind the script was to figure out how to get the Scarlett 2i2 to work properly in Pulse Audio. Now, if you just plug in the Scarlett 2i2, it works, it will recognize it, you can listen to audio through it, you can even do some recordings. However, if you do some of the fancier things that we do, for instance, having to capture multiple audio streams at once, what happens is it creates these artifacts of echoing and that echoing actually goes into the actual recordings itself. So even Mm. if you can deal with it in monitoring, uh, the people listening are going to be really annoyed and other artifacts. So I created a script that basically allows it to grab two different audio streams with false audio without creating these conflicts. And these are the things that I had to figure out and do, not being an audio engineer and not being a developer that I had to figure out back to be able to use pro audio equipment. Very, very annoying process. Additionally, Michael and I spent days trying to figure out how to properly pipe audio. In from our listeners in another application he means Uh total
2: amount of time we spent trying to figure this out uh, accumulated into days but over the course of probably two or three weeks trying to figure this out because it was a lot and especially when there's all these tutorials of how to do mix minus and they're worthless and they talk about one mix but not to bring back the other stuff and like we want to do more than just this yeah. And you know it was they, it was they mostly
0: deal with still. callers, people who call in. You have them on your phone, you bring them into your recorder, you mix minus their audio out. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's easy. What we're trying to do is bring dozens <laughs> of people into a room all at once and have our audio and video feeding to them and all of these things. Well, PipeWire does this so easily. It takes me seconds every day to just open QP Graph and just QWP Graph and just make these links. Um, And so once we had Pipewire, that type of thing was solved. So this is the kind of point I wanted to make is that this is why things like Pipewire are so important, because from a professional audio community standpoint, Pulse Audio doesn't cut it anymore. And so, yes, it may work for you just listening to headphones and YouTube videos and stuff like that. But when it comes to the pro audio, even semi-pro audio world, it falls on its face really bad. And thus, Pipewire's amazing. I love Pipewire.
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of Pipewire. I think that it has changed the game in a lot of ways. And made it so easier for us to do what we're doing in terms of piping the audio and having our patrons involved and that sort of stuff, while still also having independent files and independent local recordings of everything and being able to have like the separation, but also the combination. All that stuff is possible because Pipewire made it possible. So when, when it was first announced, I thought, oh, this sounds great. And I was kind of like making a joke about, okay, yeah, we'll see this in a few years. And then it came around very quickly. And I am so happy to see like all the, dist- all the distros are basically switching to Pipewire by default and providing these benefits to everyone. And with the news that's on this net latest version, I think Jill is gonna be very excited about <laughs> one of the, uh, probably the biggest one in terms of the latency.
1: Yeah, so in this version, a new zero latency jack dbus bridge was actually added this works similar to what pulse audio has to offer and creates a sync source when jack dbus is started it is however much more efficient and actually runs the complete pipewire graph as a synchronous jack client with no added latency and so in layman's term this is very very important no added latency is actually a key for audio engineers to use real-time applications with PipeWire such as uh, using different applications to run different instruments and bring them together in Audacity. Uh, yeah. yeah. So they you need that that real-time control and yeah. up until now, you know, PipeWire hasn't had that uh, function. Um, it would actually create a middleman in the audio stack, which actually would create latency and audio to be out of sync. So This, this is a big deal. You're really playing a
0: guitar. You want your yeah. drummer to be in sync. <laughs> You've got your two machine. You know, I am wearing a Janky shirt today. When you think about yes, someone as pro as Ronald Janky mm-hmm. sitting there with his keyboards and things that he's jamming on, latency would become a really big deal. Uh, mm-hmm. There, getting his instruments mm-hmm. into his computer and creating all the effects and everything uh, that he does there. So, this is where, again, when we talked about Linux growing because of Code Weavers and Steam and all of this in the gaming and bringing all of these new people into Linux, audio is somewhere where Linux could absolutely dominate if we can really take this, bring these professional options in. Mm-hmm. But at a level where people don't have to also become experts in the operating system in order to
2: utilize them. Yeah, yes,
1: exactly
2: we've always had pro audio for years, thanks to Jack, but setting that up,
1: yeah required to be not pro Linux user <laughs> so- <laughs> I've had to spend uh, many probably at least a hundred hours setting up uh, Jack by mm. you know installing a low latency kernel in Debian and installing jack and and uh, Adjusting the CPU governors, running scripts to get it just perfect yeah. <laughs> it takes a while. And it's so nice because Pipewire does this for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the scripts for Jack, Jill. When I yeah. had to go to Jack at a certain point because Pulse Audio was failing out so much, Scrapjaw in our community created a script just for my machine And it was a very long script that would basically kill Pulse Audio and then initiate at certain stages the various jack applications and create these connections and things. I had no idea what the script did. It worked. (laughs) I had no idea what it did. But that's the point is that it was too difficult. And now with Pipewire and these enhancements, we're taking something that's already fantastic for your average user and getting better. But now we're bringing in the professional features, which is awesome. And then there's more improvements. Activation of remote nodes is more efficient uh, in there. Jack notify callback implementation has been reworked to emulate better what Jack does and then more work on the BAP devices. So device latency is now passed on to applications for multi-device headsets and channel allocation, bunch of improvements and bug fixes. So I just want to take a moment most of all and just say thank you to the PipeWire team. Your work mm-hmm. is awesome. I love your faces. <laughs> I don't know what I would do without PipeWire. They could yeah. probably get rid of me off the show if it wasn't for my insane ability to uh, link all of the audio from our patrons into this. Uh, yeah, that's the think, only reason they are the a, show right They think now. I'm a miracle worker, uh, but really I just drag a bunch of lines and it works. So that's it. Thanks it's for helping funny. me keep
2: my job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's lucky for that. You're, you, you did you did everything for him, Pipewire. <laughs> but this is funny because I was thinking about it. You were saying about how easy it is to do certain things and it made me think pipewire now is how i felt going from like dial up to broadband cable internet cool. i don't ever want to go back and pipewire yeah. is the exact same thing when i would i would try another distribution and just for testing purposes or whatever and it didn't have pipewire you could feel not having pipewire <laughs> like yes. that's that's how much of an improvement it is
0: now, not that we didn't love Pulse Audio, it's just its time has come. Because I remember you talking about Michael and Jill a time before Pulse Audio that was OSS
2: really bad. OSS <laughs> really, bad. Also, yeah. as when you only had Alsa,
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Like there was also it was great. Like and also to be clear, for those who don't know, these these things are still being used. So PipeWire mm-hmm. is not like a replacement to Pulse Audio. It's a sitting on top of layers. Of. Yeah. yeah. So it uses uh, Pulse and Jack. So it's not like it's a total replacement. But what's cool about it is that it has drop in support. So that's why I was able to be adopted so quickly. So everything that used Pulse or everything that used Jack could, in theory, just jump like jump into PipeWire. And back in the day, before there was Pulse, there was also and ALSA was good, but it required you to be an audio expert or really a Linux expert and an audio expert to use it. And it wasn't as powerful as Jack at the same time. So Jack at least justified all the effort, whereas also just had some like the labels of every device was confusing. You had to figure it out and do troubleshooting to figure out which device is which and all these sorts of things. And there would also be like multiple entries for the same device, even though there was no reason to have multiple entries. It was just that sort of experience. And then Pulse simplified that and made it much better, but it also had its own quirks. And Pipewire is simplifying that even more, adding in Jack stuff and just being awesome. You couldn't figure that out in Ulsa, Michael? You don't know Jack. A good wow! Thing. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. another dad joke, but this time was, on purpose.
1: That was awesome, Ryan. But something else important I that patience. I want to point out is that here at Destination Linux, we were one of the early adopters of PipeWire in our production. In fact, I yeah. think right. we were one of the very the very first video podcast to use PipeWire in their production, let alone as, podcast in general.
0: As soon as I saw it, I was so. <laughs> desperate to find something else that it was an immediate like let's try it and see if we (laughs) could get it working and uh thankfully that's a
2: testament to it because we adopted it very early and it worked very early
0: yeah absolutely now jill this week michael and i were together when i was writing the show and i want to apologize to
2: you uh for michael picking this ridiculous game i did not pick this game I laughed at him picking this game, and therefore he seems to think that that sanctions my choice of saying good job. You approved it, you know? I I didn't say anything. I just laughed because this is a very silly, fun, insane game that does actually look kind of fun in a weird way.
1: It's quite silly, but fun. And it's one of the rare gems you won't be able to pass up. It's called Super Bunny Man. (laughs)
0: I love it. Rare gem you won't be able to pass up. The rare Super bunny man.
1: <laughs> have you ever dreamed of being part bunny and part superhero? Every well, day. we all <laughs> really? have, especially Michael. <laughs> so, no, definitely that. So, so now you can play out that dream in this game. And it's you know a physics-based co-op a platformer about a guy in a rabbit costume, <laughs> essentially. And you team up with your friends. Uh, local or online uh, to beat levels and find hidden carrots and race against the clock. <laughs> and uh, it has over three thousand very positive reviews. So how can you go wrong?
0: Right, Michael uh, left two thousand nine hundred ninety nine <laughs> of those because his dream of being part bunny, part <laughs> superhero <laughs> so was finally realized. Was finally realized. He, yeah, he created all those accounts just yeah, yeah just
2: just to promote this game. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, I had a wonderful time playing this charming game on my Steam Deck, even with just, you know, playing in single player mode. I was sad. I didn't have Michael and Ryan to play with. (laughs)
0: We we were really busy, <laughs> busy uh, yeah. I at know. the Rainforest Cafe,
1: you yeah. were, you were, yeah. And um, it is fun, you know. Re- it's really fun trying to use jelly physics. That's what you call these kind of games with their movement with the the characters or jelly physics, and you can. I cart- thought that was wheel- just
2: Ryan's understanding of physics.
1: <laughs> yeah. <Boom. laughs> yes. And getting lost. Poor I thought Ryan. that was just
2: Michael's <laughs> arms after a workout. <laughs> oh, that's to- thats arms. exactly what that is.
1: <laughs> and it's—it's uh, it's really fun. Have your your bunny move with cartwheels um, over obstacles to the wormholes, and it would be <laughs> even <Sure>. funner <laughs> playing. With someone else, the
2: sentence made so much sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and and absolutely, this game is really meant for multiplayer, but I had fun playing it in single player mode as well. And if you act fast, you may be able to grab Super Bunny Man on Steam for twenty five percent off for only eleven dollars and twenty four cents. But this sale ends really soon.
0: You better pick it up quick, Michael. You get yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you right probably after, after, the right after the show. After the show, yeah. <laughs> So this kind of reminds me, Super Bunny Man, uh, when you said Michael would want to be a superhero and a bunny, it's more like Michael would want to be a superhero and a sloth together. And the reason I mention that is Michael spending time at my house, I realized how much (laughs) of a sloth he's like. So let me give you an example. I'll be like, Michael, it's time to go to the gym. And he'll go, okay, give me 10 minutes. 45 minutes, minutes later, later. <laughs> or somewhere around
2: there, Michael this will finally get his creaking let's, let's, the bones up
0: off the couch.
2: Here's the reality of what happened. He said, hey, uh, we're going to leave for the gym in 30 minutes. I was like, okay, cool. He comes up to me in 10 minutes and says, hey, you ready to go? Like, it's not even been 15 minutes. What are you talking about? And he literally was d- debating how long it's been <laughs> until his wife pointed out it's only been 10 minutes, Ryan. <laughs>
1: Yeah, oh.
2: He's very sloth like Jill. Don't yeah. listen to what he's saying. He's very—he's impatient, so, is what so, is what we're seeing.
1: So we went. Uh, Michael to do cartwheels like Super Bunny Man to the the gym with one hundred percent.
2: Actually, I think what we should do is set up an obstacle course at scale, and then Ryan and I go. compete to who can be the most Super Bunny Man.
0: Yes. I, w- I would win because it would take 45 minutes for Michael to actually decide no, between because you getting would, up from his chair. You would ignore how the long the, the time takes, so
2: you just jump the line and cheat.
0: <laughs> Maybe. I would probably. Anything to win. I don't like to lose. Speaking of not losing, our software spotlight is not going to leave you in last place. Because it comes from the community. Shut up, Michael. Don't laugh at it. This week's software <laughs> spotlight is a recommendation mean? Shut your face, Michael, from a community member and our friend Shadowroy called DistroBox. So DistroBox is a tool that allows you to run any Linux distribution inside your terminal. It uses Podman or Docker. I can't believe Michael's still laughing. To create <laughs> it also containers. uses
2: jelly physics inside the, the
1: containers. Yes, it uses jelly physics.
0: <laughs> yes. It uses Podman or Docker to create containers that are tightly integrated to your host system This means you could share your home directory, external storage, USB devices, and graphical applications with this container. It's a great way to try out different Linux distributions without having to install them on your system. And you can also run software that's not available in your distributions repository. So this issue, for instance, with trying to get a Firefox option, let's say Mm -hmm. there wasn't this packaging that I could go grab off the tar File off of uh, Mozilla. I could potentially grab it from another distro utilizing distro box. And one of the cool use cases Shadow White mentioned was they use Arch, like every pro should, but they don't always trust the AUR versions of software. So if the application is available in another distro repository, they install it using distro box, and boom, problem solved. So that's a really cool so use awesome. case yeah. for people who uh, are kind of worried about the AUR, don't have time to maybe go through the code of the packages they're installing, which you should do if you're downloading things from the AUR. It's awesome. I love the AUR, but it would be very easy to put um, malware and other things inside mm-hmm. of that.
2: That's true. And anything or you have user-generated or user-submitted, it's definitely possible for that. But this is a really cool suggestion. and this is really This is a really cool spotlight. And I have heard about this for a long time and I've never actually used it so i'm looking forward to trying that out. And another thing that is so good thanks to Jelly Physics is our tip of the week. <laughs> and our tip of the week this week relates to time format conditions. So like Linux distros offer a ton of configuration options and most of the time making changes is easy. But there's one thing that UX devs do or don't do i guess because they don't seem to be bothered by this Esoteric syntax that's needed to change the date and time in your panel clocks and stuff like that.
0: So much.
2: For those who are bad, just to give you a quick idea of what we're talking about, when you go into edit your date and time on your panel, it'll say something like percent lowercase b, space percent e, comma, space percent l, colon percent capital M, space percent p and you're like what are we supposed to do with this like how is this helpful and which of course that means may 21st 12 p.m right this is the thing that kind of creates a issue of what exactly are we trying to do here are we trying to learn a whole new syntax or are we just trying to change the date and time of yeah. our panel <laughs>
0: I <laughs> just want to change the time. I don't <laughs> want to learn this dumb syntax that has no other use case that I can think of anywhere else. Yeah. Like, exactly. I, I need the developer to do it for me. I need That's them to do why it for me.
2: our tip of the week is going to be the tip from Mike Buckby's website that you can go to called For a Good Striff Time. <laughs> so That's for a good time, or I'm not even sure what the STRF striff? means, but I just mm-hmm. like to say striff. But so go for a good time, .com, which has an easy date and time format tool that does all the guesswork for you. No more looking up what these percentage A, percentage B and all that means. You can just use this tool to build the format by clicking the pieces that you want. And then it outputs the format for you. And you just copy and paste those symbols into the panel clock system that for some reason still requires you to use it.
0: Yes. We need what? to come up with something else. This is something <laughs> that's outdated. After we're done with Wayland and Pipewire, can we fix this stupid syntax into something that makes sense? Like markdown. We can make a markdown uh-huh. version or something.
2: I mean, sure, we can make a markdown. <laughs> or we could just also have a way to build it into the DE so you don't have to go and look up the research to find out what these symbols mean and stuff like that. Mm. But or maybe just have a link to this website that tells you how to do it. Yeah.
0: Even that easier. would be jelly. Yeah. Gosh. Be jelly. I, <laughs>
1: Yes, I remember spending quite some time playing with the dock apps and window maker uh, to adjust the time with these settings and I kind of learned it by heart finally. (laughs) doing that and then creating scripts and then you know a lot of the our software yeah
2: all the things you should have yeah. to do to change the time definitely. just so you can change the date and time yeah. and not even change the, the, the information <laughs> to change the format of how it looks how does linux yeah. get this reputation of being difficult you know i
0: don't get it i, I don't have no idea
2: it. what you're referring to
0: yeah exactly it's
2: difficult i thought it was super easy barely an inconvenience well, a
1: lot, I, a lot of people, their first time, uh, first time trying to adjust the time, was on XFCE.
0: <laughs> yeah, because they
1: were notorious for having to learn how to use use these. Uh, this Somebody code. somewhere
0: is going to write <laughs> us a comment that tells us why it's so important that that syntax exists. Still to this day. Since not not that it was important at some point. I know it was important at some point, sure. but they're going to argue why it's still important today and it should <laughs> never be changed. I'm waiting for the comment. I cannot wait to read it and laugh.
2: I know it's used in programming languages and stuff like that, yeah. but, and that's fine, but that's not... that yeah. The level of understanding this thing for programming languages versus just trying to change the format on your panel, I mean, it, yeah. it shouldn't be the same thing.
0: <laughs> right. It'd be like having to code every time to uh, launch your application or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know I've been gelling like a felon this whole time. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And you can join us on Discord. Go to tuxdigital.com slash Discord. And you can hang out with all of the various members of our community. And if you want to watch the show live, well, you need to become a patron, and you can watch the show live every Sunday.
2: What happened to this episode where you became the dad joke person? I know. <laughs> just you just took on my role with
0: this jelly.
2: <laughs> I've been on a jelly roll, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I'm I'm actually getting jelly over this, you know? Yeah, because you're doing it so well. You're but getting a little jelly. <laughs> <laughs> Little For those who bang. want, <laughs> yes. For those who want to uh, watch live, you can do that by becoming a patron and that's just one of the awesome perks of becoming a patron you get access to unedited versions of the show you can also join us in the patron only post show that happens every week after the show once we're done recording and you can get this and many many more including other shows because you're not becoming a patron of just dl you're becoming a patron of the entire network so go to tux slash contribute to sign up you can also go to tux slash store to get some awesome swag we have t-shirts hoodies mugs coasters stickers hats and so much more so go to tuxdigital.com slash store to get those
1: and do bunny cartwheels and jelly physics (laughs) <laughs> and check out all our amazing shows here on Tux Digital. We have the pseudo show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon, as well as our newest show, Fit and Fueled. To Get your, your muscles in check.
0: Yes, and, and your nutrition in check. Nutrition check
1: in check. Yeah. And to help you think better, to do code better and development and do all the Linuxy things. And everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all our wonderful shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce.
0: You know, all of our shows just gel together so perfectly. They just gel so well. (laughs) Yes. Everybody, have a great week. It's like physics is
2: involved or something.
0: And remember that the journey itself is just, is as, just important as
2: important as the jelly.
1: The destination. Bunny rabbit.
2: The super bunny man.
0: What was that, Jill? <laughs> you look like the rabbit on the Monty Python that attacks the soldiers right there. At the, at the teeth. And, yeah. <laughs>